0: hey y'all welcome to anchored and devoted book club of the week <laughs> <laughs> not really not really oh this is pastor jair pastor pastor welcome to all of you uh i'm joking but not joking um this episode this today is going to be a conversation between brother dave and i uh largely covering the the book the coddling of the american mind by greg Lukianoff and jonathan hate Or height. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the last name properly. Um, This book came across. It's been around for several years now, a decade or more. Um, It came across my desk several times over the years. I never took the opportunity to read it until I listened to uh, an interview between one of the authors, uh, actually two different interviews. One uh, with Al Moller, who's the president of the Southern Baptist um, Seminary out in Louisville, Kentucky, and another separate interview with. Oh, just blanked on her name. Uh, Barry Weiss was the other interview that I I didn't watch to. any of those. Very good interviews and very, very um, current in, in the cultural experience that I've been observing, that Dave and I have been talking about. So I read the book and then I turned to Dave and said, Hey, I just read this book and I think you'd enjoy it too. And uh, I, just throwing you into the bus here, it looked like you were a little bit skeptical at first, but you picked it up and you read it and then you, we were both like, Hey, Let's uh, let's talk about this. No,
1: so. I, wasn't, I wasn't skeptical. You weren't throwing me under the bus. I think for me, I normally, and you know this, I read two to three books a week. And um, mm-hmm. um, when I hear of a book that, um, like you had seen in interviews, I had not. Mm-hmm. And so the push to read it quickly wasn't there for me
0: i think that's what it was um that's fair i'm just giving my right my take which is fine because you recommended it
1: because you recommended it i did read it pretty quickly um so that we could discuss it um and i think it does follow as a part of our conversation the the other book that we discussed in this podcast um uh, a knock at midnight Mm -hmm. so it kind of they kind of go together to make it clear um, uh, what the difference is. Because I think when we first started talking about race, I think, we never talked about this, but I think some of your concern for me was that I was going after everything when I was very specific. I just hadn't shared specifically what was hurting me. And... Um, Knock at Midnight did a good job making that clear. It wasn't, and we'll talk about this, you know, about some of the things that came out in the book, it wasn't a general desire to tear down the social system of America. That wasn't the goal. Mm -hmm. The goal was to recognize that there is a justice system that is broken and um, there's proof of its brokenness. And this brokenness shouldn't be acceptable because we live in a broken world. Like there is the ability to to adjust this. We have the data, we have the proof, um, we have the means, and therefore we should um, adjust the process. And the process is right. Um,
0: what hurts. Um, yeah. Um, I got hung up on a word that you used, that you said accepted, but what I'm hearing you say is taken for granted as if it is normal, as if it shouldn't be addressed. Correct. Certainly you're not, not accepting the fact that there is a justice system, that there has to be a justice system and that it's Mm -hmm. flawed. Mm -hmm. You can't.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And you're right. Um, When we, when we did the first discussion just after the Buffalo shooting, which was before Mm -hmm. All the other shootings well it was is that, yes and it was also before you recommended a knock not mid right you're right i was hearing a concern from you that was I uh, it sounded like there was a specific concern but there was a general application that was pricked by the event of the buffalo shooting and that i wasn't sure why that was mm. right so In my mind, there's a shooting where a person, an individual, targets people based on their skin color, which is horrific and evil. Mm -hmm. And that pinged something in you, which led to the question, why why are my people not talking about this more? And my question was talking about what? There's a lone gunman who is filled with evil and hate doing what people who are filled with evil and hate do and the response to that question came as I read A Knock at Midnight and and the the subsequent conversation you and I had that was essentially there's much more here than just a shooting if it were just that every so often there were really really bad actors who did really really hateful things that'd be bad enough Mm -hmm. But that's not the only reality. There are two realities that at least run in tandem or in parallel if they're not actually connected in a a deeper worldview way. Correct. And And so, yeah, so that that, that was very helpful in that respect. Right. And
1: so this book, I think, works well with that conversation because it looks at and I'm a math geek, um, you know, to, my undergrad was in economics. Um, you know that, Jared, but for those who are listening into our conversation. Um, and it's, That was a little Easter egg. We're going to quiz at the end of the series. Well, <laughs> I thought the book did a good job of delineating between um, uh, or making it clear early on um, of a cultural shift between fact and feelings. Yeah. Um, and how to address both. And um, there is a cry that has been happening after many of the shootings that have taken place in 2022 for change. And you see both an extreme and a, um, I don't know what to call it, so I don't get uh, lost, but there's an extreme response. Um, a feeling based response Mm -hmm. and then there's a response based off of the
0: facts that took place. Um, And if I can piggyback on that statement real quick, it doesn't matter which side of the conversation you're coming from. There's an extreme that seems to be largely feelings oriented and uh, whether you're coming from a pro gun control or for the sake of argument, pro second amendment mm -hmm. position On both sides, the thinking has has been can be separated into categories of emotional reasoning versus factual following.
1: Correct, and and knowing that we're in charge of how we respond to the things around us, we control ourselves. If um, I give the example of. You know, I go to a restaurant and they tell me they don't have any tables available. I now get to choose how I respond. Sure. I go to a restaurant, I have a tantrum in front of the waiter. Like, what do I do um, must be understood based off of um, what's taking place. Uh, To see a six foot six grown man uh, flailing on the floor like a baby. Um, because he can't get his unlimited bread and salad at Olive Garden. <laughs> I, I joke because I haven't been to Olive Garden in like 20 years. Um, but <laughs> um, you laugh because it's just like, okay, that's ridiculous. It's, um, and yet there are many in our culture who would say because of um, the truth or the truthiness or the the feelings that I have real. I shouldn't suppress them. I should... Allow them to flow freely, mm-hmm. and that's that response is okay. And you go, no, that <laughs> response is not okay. Um, there is um better ways to address the feelings so that you know the facts
2: actually
0: rule out. What is the goal of coming to the Garden to eat? Let's go eat. So I want I, I know one of the pushbacks that we would get to a statement like you just made is, but I have a right to feel, I do in fact feel this way. And I have a right to feel this way. And I have a right to be acknowledged in my feelings. And I have a right to express my feelings. By you saying, there's a better way to, A, I need to control myself. B, there's a better way to do it. Someone could listen to that and say, well, you're just restricting my rights in an unjust way
1: and 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 i would i would encourage them to understand that feelings are not um what we should live by and this is one of the things that comes out of the book and the the first part is that in our culture today there's a big push for trusting your feelings yeah um you know this book is this this book is big on cognitive behavioral therapy which is you know we talked about before um Is something that we teach out of, we work with, we counsel from, and um, feelings are important because they often tell you what's, you know, they're they're like, to me, I view them as the leaves. They they tell me whether you're healthy or not. Are you crying in an appropriate way? Um, Are you engaging with others, you know, from healthy touch to all these other things come out and you see them based on your feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, You lost a loved one. You know, where you, did you feel free to weep, that kind of thing. Um, but the extreme is one where all your feelings determine everything. Um, I wake up and I don't feel good. I'm going to have a bad day. Um, the day had not even started yet, but because I didn't wake up feeling good, the day is done. Um, uh, it doesn't matter what happens in the day. Win the lottery you know saw my enemy struck by lightning like it it doesn't (laughs) matter (laughs) i'm not gonna feel good about this day um the uh feelings need to be um shared yes um and you know i think one of the real big things i didn't see talked about in this book but even when it comes to feelings addressing with the what's behind it um, when it comes to me having a tantrum on the floor at Olive Garden, where is the maturity for using words? Where is the um, ability to um, reconcile the main goal? Um, and so when we allow feelings to dictate everything, it often blinds us to the main thing, the real thing or the good thing, um, the feelings should be a part of every relationship, but they shouldn't be um, the main thing. Jeremy, you and I fight and, you know, we disagree. We don't talk for a day or two. And then we call and I apologize and we keep moving. Like it's, it's just the feelings don't get to destroy what is um and i say this to believers we're going to spend eternity together so don't act like <laughs> you're not going to see them again there are no hermits um, in heaven <laughs> like like you're going to see them again you're going to yeah. have to adjust um so keep a short you know list scripture real clear about that apologize quickly um don't let your feelings get in the way of what christ has done um and so when we look at this is going back to one of our earlier conversations about race when we look at that there are a lot of things that are feeling based and even when I shared with you I was sharing my feeling but there was a real reason for it and I had to let you see that that like no there's an actual concrete reason for the the stress that you're feeling the uncomfortableness and on my and side
0: uncomfortable- I had well, I had to choose to care enough about you as a friend to give you the time and space to be able to express your feelings and then wait for the let's reason together now what is the thinking behind us so that we can get to the conversation part that that was also a feelings thing i could as a feelings person responding say well i think that your feelings are irrational and they don't make sense and I don't think you're looking at the facts. So I'm going to discount what you said. I'm going to walk away from the conversation and pretend like we had a conversation when all I really did was not listen intentionally, not listen purposefully. Now as counselors, you and I, you know, a part of our training and a part of I think our personality is we are intentional listeners. We are active listeners by nature. That's one of the things that God made us to be. It's one of the things that gives us the ability to be skilled counselors. It, it's not that way for everyone. But mm-hmm. active listening is a behavior that can be practiced. And one of the things that you're pointing out here that I think I think is really crucial to, to state clearly and to grapple with uh, pretty consistently is that thoughts and feelings will always be present. They will always be in some sort of balance slash tension. And both need to be challenged. It's almost as if I, in my mind, need to be an impartial observer of both my feelings and my thoughts to say, Mm -hmm. is there merit here? Mm -hmm. And how am I going to respond when there is and when there isn't, whether it's what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking, because we can have emotional responses that are not uh, appropriate. And we can have thought processes or beliefs that are not realistic. Mm. And both need to be adjusted. What, What this book was stating, I think in a really good way, is as a society... And and he didn't state this, but I think that this is a part of what's going on. We have gotten comfortable enough that we don't have to do nearly as much. We have much more time to be in our feelings because there's a lot of things that we don't have to be doing that Mm. we used to have to do just to stay alive. Because of that, our feelings have taken a much more central place in our experience and they have shaped the way that we think and view the world and oftentimes in a detrimental way. I would, I would
1: say during COVID and with all the protesting and marching and everything that's been going on, um, there's a clear... Um, desire in in my opinion for
2: community and um it's being seen in
1: part by protests um whether it's white supremacist whether it's black lives matter whatever it is i think part of it is um you know a sense or a desire for community i also think that um because of the amount of media that we consume, um, especially the uh, the silo of it from whether you just live on Facebook and all your media comes from there, or you listen to Fox and all your media comes from there, or it comes from NBC or CBS or one of the other networks, CNN, um, you get a perspective that is um, not challenged on that channel. And so I think the muscle for challenging things has um, atrophied to the point where people don't fear misinformation. And so they accept everything freely and it causes um, for great um, destruction. Um, it causes for great um,
2: uh, horrors to take place um, when
1: wow when information moves fast mm-hmm. and people have the ability now to respond even faster
0: um, or, or just to react correct, I, correct. I had an interesting and, conversation with my Almost, goodness gracious, how old is he now? Almost eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. He had his awards night earlier this week. Okay. And they had to dress in, you know, church-appropriate clothes or their uniform. <clears throat> now, my my almost eight-year-old is a little bear. He's just over four mm-hmm. feet uh, tall, and he's built like a linebacker. Mm-hmm. And uh, he comes downstairs just in shorts. And I kid you not, a winter grade, long sleeve, fleece button down, school colored shirt. Nice. <laughs> it's He's it's ready. after June 1st. <laughs> He's ready for the and it 80. is 86 degrees off. outside as he walks out the door. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He's like. This is a shirt I want to wear. I'm like, you're going to be way too hot in it. And he says, no, I'm not. You think I'm going to be too hot, but I know I'm going to be too cool. And I realized something. I realized a couple of things. One, this is not about this shirt. This is about something else. It's not that he uh-huh. wants to wear this shirt. There's something else that he we haven't gotten to. And two, he doesn't trust me. Hmm. And I could ask myself, why does he not trust me? And it may not be that he doesn't trust me, but he wasn't willing to challenge himself and say, "I can trust my dad's experience and his knowledge, and I should question my own if we're in conflict on this particular point." And I had a short conversation with him. <clears throat> and I brought trust into. I said, "Buddy, how, am I are you?" which one of us is smarter? And he's like, you are. And I said, by, by like a little or a lot? And he's like, a lot. <laughs> I said, so do I do things to you to be mean because I don't love you? He's like, sometimes. I said, that's fair. <laughs> I do sometimes. And when I do that, how do I come back to you? And he says, well, you, you apologize. So I said, right. I'm not doing that now. And I'm, I'm asking myself, why don't you trust me right now? And that allowed him the space to be able to say, I don't have any other clean shirts and I want to wear a clean shirt. Okay, this is about your embarrassment factor. I get that. What if I found another clean shirt for you? And at this point, it went back to something different. Now it's just, no, I want to do it my way. To which I said, dude, I've given you the information. I know you're wrong, but you have the right to be wrong. And I can respect that you reject my options. That's okay. That kind of conversation is one that is not what I normally see happening in public discourse, you know, and it's one that after reading this book, <clears throat> after reading this book, I, I also recently read another book called the gift of fear by Gavin Becker, which is another um, book. I think it was written in, the mid to late 80s or early 90s. A very good book. Um, it echoed something that I started saying to my oldest child, and that is trust your instincts, but question your conclusions. I'm sorry. Trust your instincts, but question your certainty. You've got good instincts. Your responses and your reactions are on track, but question the certainty with which you hold the conclusions that that that's the that's the job of being a well self-governed self-actualized individual it was the same thing here with my eight-year-old you have a need you have a desire you trust yourself and you have to ask yourself a couple questions do i trust myself more than i trust this other person do i believe this person means to do me harm am i willing to give up a right that i have to be wrong for the goal that i have of being whatever it might be comfortable accepted not laughed at it could be i I remember instead of uh celebrating halloween because i was a good christian boy in a good christian family we celebrated (laughs) we celebrated hallelujah night
1: Oh, not the harvest party. Not the harvest, harvest. party. You know
0: that would have been well, too German, which is sort of but... pagan. So, <laughs> Hallelujah night, clearly biblical. And at Hallelujah night, whereas in other pagan things, you would dress up in so costumes why is it an and, hallelujah? Get, and get anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, instead of doing that, we you know the you would get dressed up and go door to door and get candy. Instead of doing that, we got dressed up in costumes and went to the church and got candy. And probably watched a a Disney movie. (laughs) If we weren't boycotting Disney at that time. It it was the early 80s, so you got to (laughs) understand.
1: We won't talk about the stocks in your portfolio, but
2: anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amen. All right. So I remember this one, this one in particular, and we have pictures of it where the night of Halloween night, you know, I'm like six or seven years old. I've got a nine-year-old brother. I've got a five-year-old brother. We've got my sister, whom we've just adopted a year ago. And she has these Korean dresses that when we adopted her from South Korea, two of these dresses came with her. They're very pretty. We have no costumes. And so my mom goes into my dad's closet and just starts pulling out suits that he had from the 70s. Okay. That are grossly too big for us obviously and nasty looking because they were the 70s and she says to us you guys will be the four hobos but what are the four is that a movie no no that was not a movie that was (laughs) that was an indignity is what that was Okay. <laughs> that was really I was trying to put lipstick on a pig is what that was. <laughs> Love you, mom. Your mom <laughs> so she's she doesn't remember it anyway. And she can't hear this unless she's got her the things in. So I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. This really is not a good episode for long. Uh, anyway, I remember going and being really embarrassed. Still having a good time, mm. but also being really embarrassed. I did not think I was a particularly uh, attractive kid, even at that age. Um, And here I am putting on clothes that accentuate just how awkward I already felt. It was not cool. And I can remember this feeling. And I can also remember, you know, 40 years after this saying, hey, you know, okay. It was a night. Didn't really leave much of an impact on me other than say, okay, I remember that feeling and and I can associate with someone who's in that place. Didn't really do anything else to me. But I can think about my eight-year-old son now who is concerned himself about feeling accepted or embarrassed. And because I can empathize with that, even though what I'm trying to do is to persuade him to a different way of thinking, a different course of action, I can empathize with his goal and so instead of coming as an opponent trying to change his mind i can come as a partner trying to help him realize his goals Mm. and that often is the difference between quarreling and friendship in any Mm. in every good friendship there's going to be argument but it's never because we are enemies it's always because we love each other what what this book pointed out was that what the history that kind of led to this emotions first my experience is my reality is my truth you need to acknowledge and respect my truth and my emotions even if they change every 30 seconds that came out of a good place of wanting to care for people so that they don't get hurt. Wanting to protect people from others who would intentionally target them to do them harm because of their insecurities or because of their differences or because of their desires or opinions. But in doing so, somewhere along the way, sort of that balance was tipped from protection to deification uh, yes, you feel scared. So, yes, you're in danger. You know, I, we talked about, you know, there's a, an intersection near your house where if you're crossing the street, you're literally in danger because there is no safe place to cross. There is no protected crossing. Yeah, there's not. Which means even if you don't feel fear, there is still danger. Correct. Right. You can come what to other intersections not. where it's completely <laughs> protected. And you can still feel very, very fearful, even though you may be, in fact, very, very safe. Being able mm-hmm. to assess for yourself and say, okay, I'm feeling afraid, is the danger real? Okay, the danger's real, how big a possibility is this? Okay, it's a medium possibility, what's the injury gonna be? Okay, it's gonna be a small injury. Do I need to feel this afraid? Is my fear calibrated? To the reality of the situation. And even if it is or isn't, what am I now gonna do? As opposed to, and this is where I think you really the 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 idea really strikes a chord with me, is we went from preparing children for the world that they were gonna live in to trying to prepare the world for the children who were going to live in it. I remember being the age that my kids are now, and when I wanted to go for a bike ride. I jumped on my bike and I went. I didn't have a cell phone or a walkie-talkie or a helmet or a quarter for a call or a time I had to be back. I was in my neighborhood. I was in my community. I went out for a ride. I came back when I was done and I'd walk in the door and mom would say, who's that? And I'd say, it's me. And she'd say, okay, go back outside and play. And I learned how to take care of myself. I learned how to be safe. I also remember when the bicycle helmet laws were passed, everyone's got to wear wear a bike helmet. And all of a sudden, there was a stigma that came that I felt that said, hey, if I don't wear a bike helmet, not only am I breaking the law, I'm being stupid. Because if you ride a bike without a bike helmet, you're probably going to end up with your head splattered on a curb. And that's a really big deal. That's something that I really wanted to avoid because I like my head. And that influenced the way that I raised my kids in a way that I didn't realize. So that when I had kids and it was time for bikes, my instinct was, my my first response was, well, they can't ride with a bike helmet. There was no questioning. Why can't they ride? Is it everywhere? Like at any time ever? What if they're in a field? Do they need a bike helmet if they're in a field? Like if, if they're on a farm, do they need a bike helmet? If they're in a foam pit, do they need the bike helmet? But there was none of this that went on in my mind. It was all just, no, we got to keep them safe because they could get hurt. And as you and I have talked about, especially back in the, uh, Road signs for dating. Resiliency is one of the things that has suffered as a result of this. Suffered tremendously. Mm-hmm. Because the fact is, people are still getting hurt. But one of the first false ways of thinking that was highlighted in this book is what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. That mm-hmm. that idea has been adopted by many, many people. No, what you have to do is not ever get hurt. Because if you get hurt, You're going to have experienced trauma. It's going to mark you for the rest of your life. And you're going to have an inability to move past this mark of trauma because you've been hurt. And it just doesn't, A, that doesn't work with all the history that we've seen where people have Mm -hmm. been getting hurt for a long time and have been very resilient. Yeah,
1: figuring out a way from amputees to those um, with other uh, things to, to get through. Um, not only has there been the resiliency, but also there's been a, an opportunity to help others. And uh, even more so making it clear that often, people become more charitable as they go through tough things as opposed to avoiding them where there's less charity, less love, less generosity.
0: Well, if safety really is first, the way that I can put safety first is to make sure that I never come anywhere near you because I might put myself in danger and I might accidentally put you in danger.
1: Correct. But, but also understand what that safety mentality, that means um, my doctor is the number one, like I don't have a vote. Yep. You know, like it's a different mindset as opposed to saying, no, God has given me a mind and I'm going to do my best to find good doctors and nurses and, you know, whatever you need in this season and not just whichever one is um, accepted by my insurance, but what you know, you need to do on the flip side. When safety is the main thing, it distracts me from sharing my faith as much because I'm staying in my bubble. I'm staying safe mm-hmm. as opposed to recognizing in scripture. And we've talked about this before. I've got a new life in him yep. and my life isn't mine. It's his. So if I lose it to some random dude on a train, I'm okay with that. Cause I'm going to heaven. Like, it's not one of those things where I'm fearful of that. It's, as you stated, I've taken and counted the cost. The cost is one where I keep Christ first. And in light of that, whatever the sacrifice is, I'm good with it. When I take Christ off the throne and put myself, and now I'm focused on a mindset of I'm fragile, Mm -hmm. And, and i need to be or you're, or you're right or you're fragile um or everyone else around me is fragile then my focus is on selling bubble wrap yeah. as opposed to encouraging people to live life and have fun and um uh, my son was trying on soccer cleats yesterday he was running around the field with his grandma and uh, grandma told him to go run have fun and he did he took off and was free as a kite and sure enough um there's a piece of plastic that transitions from concrete to um, uh, the turf that he slipped on and he wiped out. Yeah, um, I see him and he says, daddy, I didn't breathe for a second today for two seconds. I was, I fell down and I hurt myself. I fell flat on my back. And I said, well, that's kind of the, you know, that's what you do when you play. Um, He's like, but you don't like it when I get hurt. I was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want you to get hurt. <laughs> not, like, like, understand, but it is part of growing. I was like, mommy's had a bunch of owies. Daddy's had a bunch of owies. If you are going to live, this is part of living. I think for me, one of the big things that came out of the book was a lot of people just aren't living life. Yeah. Um, and they don't really know it. They're having a pseudo life, a bubble life and view it as good. When there's so much better, there's so much better, um, even with the amount of time being used to, or consumed with media, just there's so much better. That was another conversation. Someone was like, why can't I watch YouTube today? I was like, what did you do yesterday? I was like, I played with grandma all day. I was like, and did you enjoy it? Yes. Well, grandma needs you to move her and you need to move for grandma. So <laughs> if you watch YouTube all day, you, y'all don't move. Y'all just sit there staring at the screen. Y'all need to get up and go. This is on purpose. And he was like, so I wasn't in trouble. I was like, no, this was a reward. Go play. So <laughs> it's not a, it's, um, it's easy, especially culturally when there's a TV show that's on or um, something that seems to be happening in the world that we have to be in tune with um, so that we can feel like we're a part of the community when in reality, um, just have conversations with people in the community, right. um, you know, be in the community as opposed to um, having this pseudo or ephemeral connection um, that is almost like, you know, me wearing a sports jersey to a game. If you've ever taken me to a game, you know, I go with a book and a bunch of friends. Why? Because if it's a baseball game, I enjoy watching it, but let's just be real. It's, it's baseball.
0: boring as crap.
1: <laughs> right? So I want people to talk to and I need a book to read and I will watch and praise the Lord for Jumbotrons and replay, but <laughs> I don't need to...
0: <laughs> and the pitcher <laughs> then, just wiped his nose.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I'd rather captain. build a relationship and engage with the people around me. And if you let leave me there with no one that's a friend, I'll have 20 friends by the time I leave. True. Um, it's There, there is a desire from me that my kids would be able to do the same, that they would be able to go in anywhere and know that even if this person doesn't like me because of whatever reason, by the time they've had a conversation with me, because I'm not going to fear them, we should be in a better place. I don't have to be their bestie, but we should be able to connect. Can you put
0: yourself in their shoes? Can you honestly put their good first? Because if you can do that, that's relationship.
1: Well, that's what I'm called to do as a believer as well, as a follower. And often I think we step aside and get into this, as you stated, my rights, um, defending myself and a whole bunch of other stuff where you're like, uh, what's at the core of that? It's you. Understand that the core needs to be about caring and loving others well and doing that. That means I have to take risk um to love as the good Samaritan loved. I have to. And yet again, risk is the thing that we often fear the most. We're trying to
0: mitigate it when there's certain things that we can't get rid of. Um I, I wanna do a little thought exercise with you and with the listeners here. Do hmm? you feel like it's a good place to land the plane? Sure. Yeah, All yeah. right. So here's I'm gonna ask you a question. but I'd like you to not answer for a second. I'd like our, our okay. listeners to answer for themselves. Okay. Um, a Maryland native by the name of Mike Rowe, who you may have heard of, you may not have, doesn't really matter, has some merch that he sells that says safety third. And I had a conversation with my kids the other day in the car about this because my nine-year-old daughter pipes up and, and pointed something out that did legitimately need to happen for safety reasons. And then she said, you know, the very quoted line, safety first. And I was like, "Hmm." like, is safety first? Or like, should safety be second or maybe even third? So, I'm taking, I'm positing that it's a good statement, safety third. But this is the thought exercise. If that's the case, what would you, Dave, and what would our listeners put as first and then second? (laughs) Um, Okay, okay so our listeners are thinking about I'm, it then the I know
1: they're, they're thinking and i'm I'm thinking as well
2: um, it's hmm. there is and you
1: know this because you read the book mm-hmm. there's a space where safety should be first example I work in a nuclear power plant um (laughs) all right like there's there's a space for that i'm not gonna yep we're not gonna juggle um plutonium rods like (laughs) like that's just not gonna (laughs) right um you know i was trying to think of where that safety first sign would go and where it wouldn't obviously um Obviously not at a circus. Um, I don't even <laughs> right. it be to- <laughs>
2: right.
0: <laughs> yeah, the Nitro Circus is think- over here at the uh, at the Bowie Bay Sox uh, two Sundays yeah. ago. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure safety is not necessarily first in that case.
1: Yeah, I, I can't even see it in the top 100, <laughs> just to be honest. <laughs> um,
0: like they're wearing helmets and flame retardant suits. Otherwise, they're throwing themselves at death's door.
1: Correct. Literally, literally, you climbed in a cannon to be shot somewhere. Um, there's nothing that your parents said, ooh, this is what I want from it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> um, <laughs> 15 minutes of fame. Oh, I thought you said 15 minutes of flame. Yeah, yeah, a flame.
1: Yes, on fire. Um, it's, this gets to the the CBT, the um, thinking things through and not just everything always being the same. And I think that is the bigger issue is um, we have to pause and reconcile um, what is, um, what, what do we need to do to mitigate as much as possible with the understanding um, that at least in my world, um, with the freedom that I find in Christ, that um, there is a you know, fun play that I'd say that's more of a number one for me mm-hmm. than safety. Yep. Um I mean, you know I will exercise and try and figure out a way to run or jog or keep moving, swim, cycle, something. Yeah, but only um, in the dark. And then, well, and that never and, and that didn't change even with the shootings and Ever whether it was whoever, black, white, Asian, doesn't matter, wherever, I still um even if I'm traveling and there was a shooting and I know people go crazy, um, going, How can you go? And it's like, because this is more important to me than me staying in the house. Yeah. Um, I'm not crazy. (laughs) I do understand I might need to run quickly. Um make sure all my blinkers I can turn off just in case, but (laughs) it is one of those things where I've done as much as I can from a safety perspective, but the safety isn't the main thing. Um, You know, it's... uh, I would say, actually, connection, relationship is the main thing. Uh And then second, I would say, is fun and play and laughter. Um, uh, And then third... um, I'm sorry. I got to put food in there.
0: Hey, um, and I might man. even be number two. I'm just being like,
1: uh. um, and that might be part of community. It might be part of a relationship. Um, and I would I say that because not all the food I eat is safe. There it so. is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Um, I love donuts. Um, and
0: donuts love you, Dave. And don't believe anyone who tells you otherwise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is so not helpful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've sadly slipped back into that safetyism of lying to one another. <laughs> um, again, I think the, the safe one would be um, relative. Mm-hmm. Um, I challenge a number of people at grace, the church I serve at, I think it's the first time I mentioned the name um, when it comes to their kids serving in Baltimore or DC, get them out there. Mm-hmm. Go serve, go feed the homeless, you know, go um, take clothes to those in need, provide shelter, get to know people, talk to them, let them hear your story, you share in their story. Um, There's nothing safe about it. But the reality is you are safe because God has everything under control. That's it. So, you know, I again, I find freedom in Christ, not the, um, inability to uh, do stuff because it isn't safe. It's no, I can do bungee jumping. I just choose not to, um, cause I'm, that's just not something I want to do. I don't yeah. think that's fun. I will jump out of a plane, but I don't want to do bungee jumping. So, totally with you. <laughs> And that that's just by choice. And someone else wants to do it. God bless. I don't knock them, but it's not a fear thing or a desire to be safe. It's just not your cup of tea. You know, that's not it, Yeah, but I, you know, choosing to think, I think is the, the thing that is toughest in our culture right now to have and know who you are outside of family, friends and whatnot. So that way you know what you want and then it, being able to communicate that, being in real healthy relationships where you can adjust your thinking with healthy pushback that is factual um, uh, is important.
0: So I'm going to bounce this idea off you, but I think it'll work. Let's put a, um, a poll okay. in this yeah, episode and ask the listeners to resp- ask Listeners, I'm asking you to respond to the poll with what would be your number one and number two if safety is third. And I will tell you mine, Dave, because I put you on the spot. <clears throat> I, I, I loved where you went with this. Um, my first was success, and my second was fun. So, but it goes along with what you're saying because success is also contextualized and so is fun. Um, example, if I'm out to do a bike ride, success means I have water, I have reflectors on me to keep me safe because that's what I need to do to be successful. It also means that I train for it so I can complete it. Because completing this thing, reaching that goal, is the number one goal of a goal. I mean, that, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Safety isn't a goal in and of itself. There is an actual goal that is my number one. This is what I'm trying to do. Safety might be second, but oftentimes it's going to be third. Because again, it's going to come down to, uh, as, I'm, as I'm reaching this goal, I want to enjoy it. I was meant to enjoy it. I want mm-hmm. to glorify God in it. And when I am glorifying God, I'm also enjoying God which means I'm experiencing joy, which oftentimes means I'm walking in good relationship, which means that's number two. And number three is going to be, well, let's make sure we don't end up dead before the end. I mean, there's so many places we can look and say safety is not first. I ran the Tough Mudder last year. Safety was not first. I took safety into account, but my number one goal was finish that bad boy and finish it well. And right on the heels of that was, I knew I was going to have fun. So regardless of what was going on, if I was scared of getting hurt. well, so I'm here to have fun. Getting hurt might come with that. I'm okay with that. that that's, that's it for me. And that's the way I want my kids to, I want to start having these conversations with my kids in a way that I didn't used to. And this book in particular helped me to see some areas where I had not challenged my thinking on this safetyism. I've been challenging the whole, what I feel is true. I'm I'm good with, no, truth is the sun. I'm orbiting around it, not the other way around. I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. But the safety thing, I, I hadn't realized just how much it had influenced my parenting. And I say that as a parent who my wife will tell you, I was the one who was pushing the kids to do things, but I wasn't releasing them. do things. I was still hovering around to make sure that they didn't fall. Or if they did slip, I was there to catch them. The great news about the world is that the earth is going to catch everyone who falls. Everyone will be caught, as your son found out. (laughs) Sometimes it kicks back too. (laughs) Anyway, This has been fun. Um, if nothing else, uh, here's a takeaway: continue reading good books. They good books are like mirrors in which we look at ourselves and evaluate whether or not our tie is straight, or our hair is combed, or our, our shirt matches. And uh, keep on talking about them. Keep on challenging yourself. Keep on challenging yourself to say, "Is is what I'm feeling? Is what I'm thinking?" Are they accurate? If not, how can I align myself in both my emotions and my thought process to what is true?
1: Thanks for tuning in again. We'll talk to you later. Bye bye.